This morning's reading is from the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. And that can be found on page 1222 of the Church Bibles. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers... Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. As we stand, shall we pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us your very great and precious promises in your word. Please would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in them now. Please would you turn our hearts to faith. Please would you so fill us with your spirit that these words he once breathed out may animate us and bring us to live for Christ's glory today in our lives. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, do sit down and... Happy New Year to you as well, if it's not too late, on the 8th of January, to add my welcome and uh, greetings to you. Uh, We begin, as Ian said a little before, uh, with a new series in 2 Peter. Uh, The sharp-eyed among you may have noticed uh, that we were going to be studying this during Advent, and it makes a marvellous companion to the Advent season, uh, because so much of Peter's focus is on the return of the Lord Jesus, and Advent is that season uh, where we prepare for Christ's first and second coming. So why continue with that, Uh, having gone through uh, Chris's uh, uh, valedictory uh, series in December instead, why continue uh, to come back to 2 Peter? And I was thinking, should we do something fresh or should we stay here? Let me tell you why I've stuck with it, uh, because I think this will be God's word to us over the next few weeks, very much a word in season for us here at St. John's. See, Peter's letter uh, is not just a focus on the return of the Lord Jesus. It 
renews our focus on Jesus himself. Peter, as we read through this short epistle, is conscious that his life is nearly over. We'll get that at the beginning of next week's passage, verse 14 of chapter 1. Uh, the central part of this letter uh, in chapter 2 shows that the church has been besieged by false teachers. Now, if we uh, date this letter uh, according to the most likely period in which it was written, uh, then almost certainly Nero was the emperor uh, on the throne of Rome. So there was uh, oppression from without, there was chaos within, and there was deep personal discouragement uh, there for the author of the letter. Perhaps we feel, some of us, that we face some of those things. We too live in a world uh, where there is great uncertainty about its global leadership, perhaps far more so than there was 12 months ago. We live in a Church of England uh, that is in doctrinal turmoil over key ethical issues and will make decisions on those over the next 12 months. Many of us have known real personal discouragement and heartache uh, over the last few months as well. So actually, 2 Peter seemed a really good place to come to renew our vision of Christ himself because in the midst of all those discouragements, this letter brims with confidence, not a, a cheap grace or, or an escapism, but a real and deep and growing confidence in Jesus Christ himself. It's a panoramic confidence, confidence for the past of what Christ has done in forgiving our sins, a confidence for the present that we know what God wants of us, even as we reel on the back foot. He is filling us and leading us so that we might glorify him in our present experience. And a letter, as I said at the beginning, uh, that is so obviously full of future hope. Christ is coming. This world is not all there is. There will be a great day of judgment and a great day of homecoming for all those who have trusted Christ now. A rich welcome uh, in the language of this first uh, section that we're looking at this morning that awaits all those who've trusted in Jesus for themselves. So, as I say, I thought it would be good uh, for us as a church to refocus our vision at the start of a new year. Not a New Year's resolution uh, so much. Uh, Those tend to inspire duty or guilt. It's the 8th of January. You've probably broken them already. Uh, Not so much a vision for what we want to do this year, but a vision of who God is, who he's promised to be for us that we might know him in the midst of all those discouragements. We might know his power and grace uh, to live a life for faith, hope, and love uh, in the midst of life as we actually experience it and the world as it actually is. Uh, John Wesley said, uh, as he meditated on verse 4 of this first chapter, and it was for him uh, one of the great moments uh, in his spiritual awakening, that the gospel is in truth but one great promise from the beginning to the end. That'll be God's message to us if we have the ears to hear it over the next few weeks. At the gospel is but one great promise from beginning to end. We are full of weakness. The church is full of failure. The world is full of fear. God has given us his great and precious promises and enabled ordinary broken people like us to trust them, that we might have hope for our present experience 
and our future glory in the Lord Jesus, rooted in that past finished work of Christ on the cross. So let me ask you, do you need a word of encouragement? Do you need a word that will inspire you to live for Christ as you are in your present experience? Do you need a word of hope to offer to those around us who are reeling in this extraordinary world in which we live? Well, then by God's grace, we will hear that together in Second Peter. And I hope we shall discover, as I say, it is very much a word to us in season in this next five or six weeks together. So let's get to the text, uh, looking uh, through it. Uh, verses 1 to 11 uh, may well be uh, Peter's own summary of his own full experience of preaching every sermon he's ever preached. That's why they're rather dense. Uh, he is coming to the end of his life, and this letter is uh, written by way of reminder. We'll see more of that next week uh, to those to whom he's preached the gospel over the years. And he wants to give them one final uh, reminder of all those key elements of the gospel that he learned from the Lord Jesus. Uh, so if you find in these first 11 verses that, uh, like a Christmas pudding, there is much richness uh, so that there's really too much to enjoy, uh, too large a helping then uh, don't worry about that, but come back to it, will you, in the next few days. Read it through again, pray it through, and then by grace, like John Wesley, you will discover uh, these great promises of God doing good for your soul uh, as you read them. We'll break it into four uh, sections, uh, just looking at the obvious uh, divisions here, although the divisions are not quite so obvious in the original. Verses 1 to 11 are a single sentence uh, in the original Greek language. Uh, which probably would have got him in trouble uh, with his grammar teacher, but it, it speaks of his great excitement that he can't even pause for breath uh, as he uh, wants to praise God for these great promises uh, and the faith in which uh, we share. But we'll break it into four, uh, I think, uh, discernible sections. Firstly, verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. First thing that Peter says about himself uh, to these Christians is that he is a servant or literally a slave of Jesus Christ. It's significant that the ordering of those two descriptions is in the way that it is. The word apostle speaks of authority. The word servant or slave uh, speaks of his humility. He is nothing except that which Christ has made him. Or again, at the end of verse 1, uh, to those, and we don't know who these Christians are, uh, perhaps they're the same group in the uh, uh, area that we would call modern Turkey, uh, to which he probably wrote his first letter. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the uh, letter has been preserved by the Holy Spirit for the blessing of the church throughout time uh, and in every place. But to all of us who receive this letter, Peter says we have a faith that is as precious as his. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Here was Peter, whom Jesus called the rock upon which he would build his church. This is Peter, one of first, uh, Jesus' first disciples, who saw his miracles, who sat at his feet on the Sermon on the Mount, as he will say in the next section, uh, who was one of the only three of the apostolic band who were eyewitnesses of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Here he is, an apostle of Jesus Christ, even one of the inner circle of apostles. And he says to you and I who've never seen Jesus, that if we put our trust in him, then we have a faith as precious as the apostles, that we share with him in being servants or slaves of Jesus Christ. There is no difference There is no hierarchy. There are no uh, saints in the sense of certain Christians who are more advanced than others, in spite of what the stained glass windows in buildings like ours might suggest. No, there is only one Christian faith. And if we trust in Jesus Christ, well, then it's as precious as the Apostle Peter's himself. And remember just who Peter was. Peter was not uh, a disciple who got everything right uh, in his uh, own following of Jesus. One of my favorite uh, stories of uh, Peter is in uh, Matthew 14. Perhaps you remember uh, the occasion. Jesus is uh, walking on the lake. It's the middle of the night. The disciples are in uh, the boat. They're terrified. And when they see Jesus on the water, uh, he uh, says to them, Take courage. Don't be afraid. And then Peter, bold impetuous Peter uh, says to Jesus, uh, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. So uh, Peter hops out of the boat and himself begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. But then Matthew 14, verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Friends, we can have a faith like Peter's. A faith that is uh, precious, uh, not because our faith is a strong uh, and valuable thing, but because the object of our faith is precious and strong, the one in whom we trust, Jesus Christ is the one who makes our faith a precious thing. Even if, just like Peter's, sometimes our faith will be little and assailed by doubts and at times even wrong-headed, as Peter certainly was on some occasions. Peter says to us, ordinary, normal, stumbling, weary, discouraged Christians, you have a faith as precious as mine. And you know what my faith is like because the Gospels tell it warts and all. But the one in whom you trust, the one in whom I trust, the one in whom every true believer trusts, he is the one who renders our faith precious and strong and enduring such that it will carry us home to the end. The hand of Jesus reached out to Peter as he began to sink. The hand of Jesus reaches out to us as we begin to sink. Our faith is a precious and enduring thing. Not because of us, gosh, what weak and foolish vessels we are, but because of him in his glory and grace who will not let us go. Look at the one in whom we trust. Uh, uh, Peter calls him God and Saviour. Jesus Christ. It's one of the clearest places in all the New Testament where the unequivocal statement is made of the full divinity of Jesus Christ. If you have a cultist on your door this week, whip out your Bible and show them to Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh. 
He is not merely an agent of God, uh, or certainly not a creation of God. He is the creator God come among us, that we might, uh, through his righteousness, through his goodness, come to have a faith uh, that in the end we will say, even as a gift from him. It's not that we were so wise that we put our trust in him. Rather, he gave us gift uh, faith itself as a gift to us. Like Peter, we will want to say, we are but slaves of Jesus. There is but one faith in him, God and Savior of all. And as we trust in him, then grace and peace, uh, Peter says, will be yours in abundance. The uh, older translation has it that grace and peace will be multiplied uh, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, and that's perhaps a truer translation. Grace is not just what begins us on the Christian journey, it's our deepening and growing and living experience as we go on. The peace that we have as we trust in Christ with God on the basis of his death for our sins on the cross, we can know more of that in our lives as we go on. It comes to us in deeper and greater measure as the assaults grow stronger and more persistent. And as we get older and weaker, well, so God's grace and peace rises to meet us in our increasing seasons of need and distress. And it all comes through the knowledge of God. And that word knowledge uh, is the uh, single most common word in this first section. A, A true understanding of who God is is the basis of our faith in him. It's not a mystical thing. Uh, It's based on uh, God's revelation of himself in Jesus Christ. And as we trust in him, so we find eternal life. So we find grace and peace uh, meeting us in our season of need and distress. Every promise of God is here for our encouragement and strengthening. Let's move on, though, verses 3 and 4. All we need is given to us for life and godliness. His uh, divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Remember, Peter is near death. Nero is on the throne. The church is under deadly assault. There is no reason for hope in human terms. Life is about to be extinguished, and it looks as though the infant church is about to be destroyed. Why is Peter confident? He's confident because it doesn't depend on human effort or ingenuity or ability. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Uh, That is for eternal life, the uh, gift of adoption as one of God's own children. As soon as we trust in Jesus, that life becomes ours. The gift of godliness, that is transformation alongside adoption, God filling us with his Holy Spirit, that we might begin to exhibit his fruit, that we might begin to become more like Jesus Christ in our daily lives. God is the source of both, our entrance into his kingdom and our being transformed as citizens of his kingdom. And both are there together in authentic Christian faith. Ah, that comes again, do you see here, through knowing him, that word knowledge again in verse uh, through. Jesus Christ said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, as he prayed to his Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
It's a good question to ask. Uh, Perhaps you are new to us. Perhaps you've been coming for a while, but you read words like this and you're not sure if you really have that knowledge of God in your heart. Well, ask God to reveal himself to you in his Son, and he will. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. When we come to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't know how to believe. Please, would you turn my heart to you? He will. And he will receive you. And he will bring you to cry from your heart, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I trust you as my Savior. And when you do that, you give evidence that you've come to this sort of knowledge that Peter is talking about here. He's not talking merely about knowledge in the head. He's certainly not talking about knowledge gained in the academy. He's talking about a real personal heart knowledge of God that we only know uh, whether we have received and experienced ourselves by whether or not we have turned to Christ and placed our lives in his hands. And when we have, it isn't that our knowledge then saves us. It's the one whom we know who begins to transform us. His divine power gives us everything we need so that in our weakness, in our despair even, in our lack, he will prove to be our sufficiency and our supply through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Not who called us by the potential he saw in us or perhaps that we were better than our neighbors. There is nothing of works here. It is all of grace. It is all of God's uh, own goodness and love for those who were lost. Glory and grace. This is the God uh, of the Old Testament. This is the creator uh, God. Moses said uh, to the Lord, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. This is the only God there is who made us, who made the world who will one day call it to account and who has now come to us in Jesus Christ and invited us to respond in faith that we might know him in all that glory and goodness ourselves. Well, his glory and goodness has given us his very great and precious promises. And here Peter makes the connection between knowing God as an inward reality and grounding such knowledge on the external revealed Promises, promises that we have in the scriptures. So let's not be too quick to be derisive of head knowledge. As my training incumbent once said uh, to me, and it was a striking sentence that stayed with me through the years, uh, grace enters through the understanding. That's how God has ordained it to be. He's given us his great and precious promises. We don't imbibe them by leaving the Bible on the shelf or staying at home on a Sunday morning. We have to open the word, read it, hear it taught to us. And then then when those very great and precious promises have come into our minds and we respond by trusting the God who spoke them, and then we discover that his glory and goodness is for us, that his uh, enormous uh, power has given us everything we need. And so that as we put our trust in him, we have this extraordinary hope that we may participate in the divine nature and escape uh, the corruption of the world caused by evil uh, desires. That little phrase, participate in the divine nature, it's unique uh, in the New Testament. And because it's unique, it's hard to know exactly what Peter means. 
Well, at the very least, he must mean, mustn't he, that as we trust in Jesus Christ, and we know because Jesus promised it, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, God himself coming to dwell in our hearts. We share in the divine nature because the third person of the Trinity comes to dwell within us. I think it's more than that. I think it's Peter saying to us, our future hope is that one day we will be truly made like Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And in that sense, we will be fully conformed to the likeness of God's own Son. There is great hope for us. Look into your own heart. You will see a work but half begun. The day is coming when the work will be completed when our participation in the divine nature will be complete and entire. The other side of that, to know God like that, means a turning from sin, an escape from the corruption of the world caused by our evil desires. As we shall see in the second chapter, the false teachers promised great spiritual blessing without repentance. They promised participation in the divine nature while indulgence in the evil desires of the flesh. It's the quickest way to fill a church if you have that message, hope without repentance, but it's not the gospel and it will not save. In the end, it will only disappoint and destroy. We'll come to that in a few weeks at time. Here we see that to know God is to escape from sin. To know his mercy is to experience repentance. To know his inner work in us means a decisive break with our former lordship of our own lives. And because of all these things, because of his great and precious promises, for this reason, he says, make every effort to add to your faith. That seems a dangerous uh, thing to say. Isn't faith itself a gift? Isn't it all by grace? Yes and yes. And yet faith, though it alone must save us, will never stand alone. The Lord Jesus taught us uh, that we shall know a tree by the fruit that it bears. And the Apostle Paul uh, spoke in uh, these words, It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, the same point that Peter makes here, and not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you trust in Jesus Christ? Good. Well, then show it by the way that you love, the way that you now live, uh, because you are his slave, and therefore you are following him as uh, your master. And as we, uh, in that sense, add to our faith, uh, we adorn our faith, we give evidence that our faith is genuine by making every effort to add these things and more. It's not an exhaustive list. It shouldn't also be an exhausting list. It's by grace we've been saved. Uh, If we uh, discover that we need some work to do on becoming uh, more good, that's the first item in Peter's list, well then to whom shall we turn? Uh, To him who gives us everything we need for godliness. To pursue goodness or virtue, it's a broad uh, word. Think on it practically this week. As you engage in your Facebook uh, feed or as you treat that annoying colleague at work or the needy neighbor, will you add to your faith goodness. Your own evil desires will not take you in that direction. But if you've trusted in Christ and know his resource uh, to live in a godly way, 
Well, then that will lead you to behave differently. And when you fail, then you'll come back and pray, Lord, have mercy upon me. And you'll find that as Peter did, the hand is outstretched and ready to restore you once again. That grow in knowledge. Uh, Well, if we know God inwardly, then how can we add knowledge? Well, he's talking about this knowledge that God has given in his word. Start of a new year is a good time to think, how am I doing with reading scripture in my own daily life? Am I a member of a small group where I study uh, God's word with others? Add to your faith knowledge. Uh, That knowledge which you gained in Sunday school or which you gain in half an hour on a Sunday morning is insufficient to bring you to a faith that is consistently growing. It needs to be in that daily study, in that small group uh, setting that you're encouraging one another and being encouraged by an increasing knowledge of God's promises and commands. Growing in self-control. What a counter-cultural witness that is. Uh, We live in a culture where everything is indulgence. I want it. I want it now. If I can't afford it, I've got the credit card. If it goes against my conscience, uh, or more likely goes against that which God's word commands, I'll do it anyway, because I have a right to be happy and to do what I want. That's the message of the world. Peter says, no, add to your faith, self-control perseverance how do we keep going when we're sinking beneath the waves like peter was on that day only by keeping on trusting in his outstretched hand only by coming to him for daily grace uh, and trusting that his mercy is new every morning oh godliness only god can make us godly uh, but he can and he will but we have to cultivate it make every moment a, a worship service When you're sitting in the car at the traffic lights, pray for the person next to you. Perhaps don't close your eyes when you pray. Uh, That can be more dangerous when you're driving a motor vehicle. Uh, But every moment of our lives can be made something that we do with God and therefore be transformed into an opportunity to show godliness or to be uh, develop a godly attitude within. Brotherly kindness, uh, the word otherwise is used only in ancient literature, in the human family. The church is to be that place where we genuinely are a family, not a Sunday club, but where we're involved in each other's lives, bearing one another's burdens. And then love, not just for uh, human family or our fellow Christians, but for all. A faith that does not love God, a faith that does not love our neighbors, a faith that does not even begin to love our enemies is no faith at all. Now, as Paul said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And that's Peter's direction as well. He begins with faith. He ends in love. And when uh, we think on these things together, Peter says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, uh, they will keep you from being ineffective and literally unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you perhaps have taught your children to ride a bike. Or perhaps you remember it. It was a while ago. Perhaps you've done it with grandchildren more recently. I don't know if your experience is the same as ours, that you get quite weary helping a child to ride a bike because you have to run alongside them holding the saddle until they gain the confidence that says going faster means staying stable that slowing down and stopping pedaling means wobbling and then falling off. Well, as it is with riding a bike, so it is 
in the Christian life. You see, perhaps we became a Christian a long time ago, and we've never made any real progress since then. Well, it's a bit like sitting on a bike and wondering why you're wobbling and about to fall over. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, with increasing speed, as it were, uh, to follow my illustration, well, then they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is designed to grow, just as a bicycle is designed to be ridden at a certain speed, because with certain speed comes stability and forward progress. And we retreat from our Christian delight and duty to live out our faith in these ways, growing in goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, then what we find is that faith itself begins to shrivel. We find certainly that our future hope begins to recede and become something that we wonder whether it's real or not. Our gratitude for God's grace in the cross diminishes. And at that point, we'll, we'll begin to blame others. We'll blame our church or we'll blame our circumstances. The reality is our ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness that comes only from our own choice, not to add to our faith in a continuous and growing way, goodness and all these other qualities. That's why Peter says, uh, if anyone does not have these in increasing measure, uh, he is, uh, the NIV reverses it, blind, short-sighted, and has forgotten. He's blind, so he can't see what's right in front of him. Uh, He's short-sighted, uh, and, and I can't focus further away than that without my glasses because I'm more short-sighted than most of you. So you can't see the future if you're short-sighted. I can't see any of you if I've got my glasses off. I can't see what's ahead of me. And I've forgotten what's behind me. I've forgotten that Christ has cleansed me from past sins. Friends, if you're discouraged in your faith, if you uh, look at your life and you sense that ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness, well, then Peter here speaks a word to you. It's not a contrary word to the first part of his message. It's still him who gives us everything we need for life and godliness. But like the presents given uh, a couple of weeks ago, they're designed to be received and used. He gives us everything we need for godliness in order that we might be godly. He gives us everything we need in order that we might practice love in our lives. So when we do these things, when we're committed to growing by his grace, well then we will find the future comes back into sharp focus and our hope is renewed. We'll find our eyes opened and we know what God wants us to do today. Here is the list. Within our own circumstances, we know what we have to do. And we will find as we fail and as we consider those many failures of our lives, that deep gratitude for what God has done in Jesus Christ in cleansing us from all our sins renews and becomes an object of great wonder and worship as we just say, thank you, Lord, because you loved me, hopeless and wicked sinner that I am, and you sent Jesus for me. Friends, blindness, short-sightedness, forgetfulness, here is the remedy. As God's have some work to do among us, I wonder. Well, very briefly, in our fourth point, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. That's a striking thing to say, because who calls 
God does. Who elects, God does. And so it isn't that we call ourselves or we elect ourselves. No, Peter says, as you add to your faith all these uh, virtues, as you thereby prove that God is faithful in giving you all you need for life and godliness, uh, so you will gain confidence uh, and so will the church around you that you really are one of his, that he really has called and elected you. And so the day will come when you will never fail, never fall, but rather receive that rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So there is much here for us at the start of this new year. But let's not forget where we began and where Peter grounds this. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's our confidence. That's our foundation. And therefore, let's get to work. Because he has much to do in each one of us individually. And he has much to do among us as his people here. We may truly give evidence that the divine nature is at work within us. And that we are those who are heading to a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we review our own lives, some of us perhaps do sense that ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness. And we pray that you would grant us real repentance, a renewed trust in your all-sufficient grace. That we may see our faith growing once again, being added to with goodness and all these other virtues. Father, there'll be some here as well who, like Peter, are conscious of life's shortness, of the pressure from without and even within the church. Please have mercy upon us and speak to us of your great and precious promises that meet us in our season of need. And so on all these things, we commit one another and our church to you and pray that we would grow in our knowledge and love of you, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. We continue in prayer as Lisa leads us. Let's continue to pray.